Welcome to the ACO Show, a podcast about changing the American healthcare system, as seen from a company that helps primary care physicians set up and run accountable care organizations. ACOs are a new model of care designed to realign healthcare to better keep patients healthy and reduce unnecessary care. I'm Josh Israel, a psychiatrist and a medical director here at Allidade. And I'm Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician by background, and I lead the adoption and training team here at Allidade. So far, you've heard us only talk to members of the Allidade team, and today we go a little further afield. We're delighted to have the chance to talk with Anish Chopra. To say Anish has a long and distinguished resume would definitely be an understatement. He's the co-founder of Hunch Analytics, president of a company called Care Journey, the former chief technology officer of the United States, and the Virginia Secretary of Technology. He's also the author of an excellent book called Innovative State. We wanted to hear about his current venture with Care Journey, his thoughts on the state of data sharing in healthcare, as well as any insights he would have into what politics are doing to American healthcare currently. This interview did not disappoint. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So you are now the CEO of a company called Care Journey, which uh, I could try and describe for our listeners, but I'm assuming you would do a better job and do that all day. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the company and and what problems you're solving? Yeah. uh, Primarily, we're an open data service helping organizations moving to value make smarter decisions on predominantly Medicare data. But the origin of it really has a lot to do with the work I did uh, serving as a CTO for President Obama. There were three swimming lanes that I uh, focused on in care delivery reform. Uh, the first of those was to make the data held by government more openly available, particularly for commercial use. Second was that we were making significant investments in the Recovery Act for electronic health records. And under the domain of innovation, we made some R&D investments in more of a leapfrog approach to interoperability using sort of internet-based standards, and that's now come to life. And third, we focused a great deal on uh, changing the payment model through a program called the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, and my particular focus was ensuring that we understood the technology requirements for where the puck was heading so we could anticipate new data models, new access methods, so we could organize the care delivery system in the manner that the policymakers had intended. So you're clearly doing a lot of work with the data. Uh, as you know, Allied is a company that partners with independent primary physicians um, to try to move the country towards value-based healthcare. And we do a lot of data work ourselves, trying to acquire it, parse it, um, make it meaningfully uh, usable, So the question that leads me to is, are we competitors? Oh, God, no. We are collaborators. I view myself as a sous chef, and I would view Farzad as the master chef. (laughs) So I'm honored to be a sous chef to the master chef. I think you'll like that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I say that uh, both in jest but also in seriousness, which is the following. There's a lot of work that is required to organize the various claim lines in a manner that allow analysts to ask the question and get an answer in a timely manner. So if I wanted to understand uh, the impact of a new bundled logic, if you will, uh, to see whether or not the specialists that we rely upon for care have been delivering cost and quality 
relative to others in the market, uh, we'd have to understand how to organize the data in a particular way. Just because we can prepare the data to answer that question does not mean that every ACO in the country will automatically have full use of it. You need the chassis of an ACO management firm that is capable of the change management, uh, the understanding of how to even think of the second and third order questions, but more importantly, how to bring the idea to life. So if I'm a sous chef and I've got a bunch of chefs around the country uh, incorporating the information in their own way, uh, that's really moving the entire industry towards value-based care and extracting a few more points of value off of the healthcare budget that can be redeployed to address issues that matter for the country, climate change or tax cuts, depending on your political affiliation. And we know in this space, and anybody who works with the data, that the final stage, the visualization, the graphical interface, makes it seem much easier than it actually is to get there. Um, you know, the analogy uh, that I've always used in, in healthcare and supply chains are when you go to the grocery store, you don't think about how bananas get on the shelves. That's you just right. pick the bananas up and go home. So uh, how do we appropriately bring in the data to rapidly iterate uh, is one question. And then for the folks that are at the front lines actually seeing patients, how should they be thinking about uh, utilizing that data, developing best practices to, to generate better data? Like, well, How do you think through that entire spectrum of utilizing that data? The, the framework is democratization on both sides. So on the front end, uh, we want to make it as easy as possible to incorporate data, not only from Medicare, which is our primary focus, but as other health system organizations move to value, that they also have payer partners willing to share the data in a common format. It should not cost me two to three times uh, the processing expense just to bring in the second and third payer. If we can reduce to utility scale the burden of bringing the data in, you've just democratized the ability for organizations large and small to incorporate information that they had never seen before. That's on the front end. How do you bring more data into the enterprise? Clinical, claims, social determinants, take your pick. The more standardized the intake, the easier it is for organizations to stand up an organization to make best use of it. On the other end, what we want to do is get out of the three analysts in the corporate headquarters being able to think through their problems and move to the point where a physician on the front line can say, you know, I was rounding uh, on hospital patients last week, and I noticed a few more had uh, UTIs. And I was curious, and we had had a physician who asked this question, I'm curious how many of those patients were seeing a, a urologist with some regularity? And is there a distinction between patients who see a urologist regularly and their presence of admission for UTI? And turns out in this example, because we have access to the national CMS data set, we can run that not only in that individual's market, but for the entire country to get a bigger sample to see whether there's any uh, signal from that particular noise. So some of it is just as the clinician or researcher asking the question, like go, you know, kicking it up a little bit and saying, not just this is something that we're, uh, you know, discussing in our uh, research room or lab or what have you, but let's ask that question more broadly and see if we can actually get to the data set that answers it. Yeah, look, the, the move to value is as much about the move to mindset change as it is anything technical or data-driven. And that means a physician thinking about the patients who are not on his or her uh, visit list for the day, 
to, na- to, to gauge whether there are any that should be that aren't. Mm. And even shifting the mindset to think that way should provoke a series of questions that will be all over the place, depending on whether you're in Kansas or Missouri or wherever. And basically, if we've democratized the information, it should be as easy as running a Google search mm-hmm. on a pu- curious question like the UTI admission rate. Mm-hmm. And that, in theory, it's not where we are today, but it's where we need to go. To the extent that uh, you know, part of the reason why I love Allidate is that the physicians, and I, don't, I can't tell chicken and egg, is it because of the Allidate experience they're curious? or that uh, Allidate is recruiting physicians who inherently are curious about this move to value. Either way, the answer is uh, there'll be more people posing more questions in more corners of the country, all thinking about ideas to make the system work better. And in the spirit of like no one size fits all to fix American healthcare, we're gonna see these thousand hypotheses come to market. And if more and more people are posing questions, we'll have faster turnaround times to see which ones seem to have a material impact on the overall cost of care. So thinking more about the uh, the practical working end of some of this, uh, you know, we're in the ACO space That's right. and you've uh, taken a good hard look at what makes a successful ACO, whether it's time in the program or um, willingness to take downside risk and be on the hook for uh, generating more costs than the benchmark. Um, with that in mind and going then from that, uh, and I think you very uh, elegantly laid out the from the more esoteric data end to the actual practicalities of how it plays out for a patient in a physician practice or the provider themselves. Thinking in through the lens of the ACO, uh, what do you see as the factors that make an ACO successful, both on the data side but more broadly? Well, I would say first and foremost, um, most of what we're reading in the literature gives me a little bit of pause in the issue of correlation v causation. So. I can't quite tell if the organizations that take risks that are more successful is because they've self-selected and they are already geared up for the game, or by virtue of taking on risk, they have uh, built the systems. Well, leaving that comment aside, what I would say is, I would say three things. First and foremost, this is about uh, culture and mindset more than anything. The early days are about finding the groups of physicians and the partners that they choose, health systems or otherwise, to uh, move to value. If you are a frontier, a pioneer, someone who cares to move the industry in a way that, for the most part, you've always wondered why that isn't the way healthcare is delivered in the first place, well, then you're a great candidate for this move to value because you're the kind of human that would be motivated to ask questions of the data and, frankly, to take the output of that information and to make change. So I would argue before we even get into what makes an ACO successful, it's almost like, well, how did you recruit the physicians to be a part of the ACO? And does there is there something about the nature of that group that is useful in tracking? That's point number one. Point number two, I do think that we have this unbelievably uh, odd world where there's some capital D data that's magic. You know, we need, I need everything from the EHR, fully interoperable, and if you don't give it to me in exactly the right format, I need to forecast my savings rate to the penny, you know, with with perfect uh, accuracy, you know, using the data that's supplied to me by CMS and others. You're going down a fool's errand where the presumption is that data is sort of the beginning and the end of this thing. What you really want the data to do is what we talked about earlier, uh, post questions and to take provoke action, if you will. And here, let me take a sidebar to what I mean. 
we as a country don't know what works and what doesn't in the move to value. Let's just be very practical, practical about it. What we want to do is build a learning health system that allows us to understand what shots on goal have been taken and to gauge whether those shots on goal have had a material impact. Now, that leads me to my third point, which is you need to build the operating system such that even if you had an early hypothesis that you have the management strength to test it at scale. And that does require you know, a bunch of expertise that's not my firm's expertise, it's what Alliday does and its peers. So let's just peel that onion back a little bit. You know, part of what open data to me means is open science. Open science means reproducibility of results. So a paper was written in JAMA earlier this summer, and I don't remember the exact headline, but it was something like, better care, lower costs, rarely used. And that study examined the transitional care management program. And it found that uh, patients who are otherwise eligible for this program, if you compared those who received the service and those who did not, and that largely means the primary care doctor owning the patient post-discharge, even if they had nothing to do with the admission in the first place, understanding their needs, connecting them, doing medication reconciliation, communicating with them where appropriate, connecting to social services, all hands on deck. And for that, CMS will pay you up to $200 uh, for that work. So it, it, it's not uh, charitable, it's, it's part of the program. Well, uh, it turns out that patients who get the service had a 10% lower uh, post-discharge cost than those who did not. And expected mortality fell from 1.6 to 1. So here you have better care, meaning lower expected mortality, better, you know, lower cost, right, savings, and rarely used, the researchers said only seven or so percent of the population received the service. So what does reproducibility of results mean? Well, let's take a look at how they calculated lower cost or expected mortality and what was the logic to determine whether, what's the denominator and what's mm -hmm. the numerator? Well, the good news is most of these researchers post appendices where you can calculate exactly what they're talking about. So reproducibility of results for me is let's now run that study for every health system or ACO that we work with. And by virtue of the data that we have the opportunity to process, uh, we can run that calculation and say, hey, look, you read this article in JAMA. Here's what it looks like in your neighborhood. And oh, by the way, you might want to tweak how you build the system to say, uh, why is it that when a patient discharges from a neighboring hospital, we see them very frequently. And if they go to a competing hospital or one down the street, then we have no information. And we, we've seen variation where 95% of patients from a local affiliated hospital get the visit and 42% uh, in the same ACO if they discharge from another hospital. So you can start to peel the onion back and then take action. So the reproducibility of results is, hey, I've learned from my peer that this is something we should be examining. And oh, by the way, you've helped me, sous chef, prepare my data to answer whether it looks like in my neighborhood and how it's trending. And then I can gauge whether I'm beating at or below the rate of change for this intervention that appears to work. And so that's where I think we're on this journey in terms of what drives success for the ACO. There are the generic financial metrics. Post-acute care seems to drop. We have some understanding that increased investment in the primary care visit piece, uh, you boost spending there and it has some relationship. So I can run a financial and cost uh, kind of review of the ACOs to give you an answer what drives success. But I'm most interested in the proverbial match.com. There are groups of patients that are candidates for services like TCM 
and those who get the service adhere to the service have better results than those who don't. And that the more we learn and identify the library of those initiatives, the better off the country's gonna be as we move to value. You know, I, your book, Innovative State, uh, which I really enjoyed. Thank you. Um, I recommend for anybody interested in a whole lot of Todd Park in that book. There is a lot of Todd. There's we haven't Farzad. even talked about him yet. Farzad, Farzad, Todd. Um, and what I, so. Uh, the right, band of brothers and sisters. There are a few things that I loved about the book. Uh, a, I'm a big history nerd, so I loved the framing in the historical context. Thank you. And as you were talking about um, Virginia and the direction of Virginia and uh, the juxtaposition of thinking at the very cutting edge of technology, yeah. but also taking a long view to yep. look back that at one point that cutting edge was a steam engine yes. right? or a cotton gin That's right. or whatever it was that was revolutionizing you know, the, the world. Um, so the historical bank, but also your uh, n- not just a nod, but showing that bipartisanship yep. I thought was really interesting. Jim Pinkerton, that's right. the reference in the beginning, I worked in the Senate a couple of years ago and uh, for uh, the senator from Ohio, Rob Portman, and uh, we used to bring in Jim Pinkerton for oh. big idea conferences, which, as you know, is his. That's right. That's right in his wheelhouse. Um, so I was really excited to see that. There was a moment. Show. Thank you for that. There was a moment in the uh, uh, Bush Clinton 92 election where both parties agreed that it didn't matter who would win. There would be a reinventing government program. And, and Jim would have probably led that effort mm-hmm. for Bush to second term. And of course, Al Gore ran it for uh, Clinton. So there's a lot of history, uh, uh, shockingly bipartisan history. And I did my best. Uh, I even gave a shout out to Herbert Hoover, who I would never have imagined citing in any way, Commerce. shape, or form. But when he was Commerce Secretary, yeah. he promoted this industry, voluntary industry standards model, which you could argue motivated people like Farzad and me to think about healthcare IT standards. I mean, he may not have, we may not have seen Hoover in the course of our work, but when you look backwards, it's like the framework that they established of public-private collaboration, R&D investments and standards, putting people, bringing them together to, to reach consensus. That's not that dissimilar. So do I want to aspire to be a Hoover Hoover? No. Do I honor and respect his role in thinking about collaboration for standards development? Wow, that's you learn something new every day. And the the way you set up the uh, the internet history, I think, is really great in the book, and you lay it out really clearly. Um, and how does that historical context apply to what Care Journey is doing, what Allied yeah. is doing? You know, the for the folks that don't know, the the origins of the internet are essentially in a uh, uh, public sector works for for uh, uh, the ARPANET and the Department of Defense, and now we're at Instagram and Facebook. Um, so <laughs> yeah. where are we on that spectrum now? Well, look, I think this application substitutability infrastructure will have the same look-back feel of when we connected those um, disparate networks. And uh, I remember that we celebrated the 40th anniversary of the connection, I think it was from Stanford to Southern California, um, like a two-word message, I think, was transmitted uh, over what was now then the ARPANET, now now the internet. The uh, 40th anniversary was about this crazy idea where Peter Lee, who now leads the healthcare effort at Microsoft, he had conceived of this notion that uh, we should float 10 balloons in undisclosed parts of the country. 
and the team that could locate the lat long, report the lat long for each of those 10 balloons would get a, I don't know, $40,000 prize or something modest. And no one had any clue as to how people would self-organize to accomplish this goal. And you mentioned social media. It turned out that a team at MIT had married incentives with modern technology. And what had happened was they said, look, if you find a balloon in our team, you're going to get paid half the value of the balloon, call it 2000 bucks. But if you invited someone to the network who found a balloon, you'd get 1000 bucks. And if you invited someone who then invited someone who found a balloon, you'd get 500 And then if you found someone who found someone who found someone, you get 250 So they created this tiered incentive model. And 4 million people contributed to this MIT team, nothing but social media driving it. And then they used modern technology to root out fake postings and to identify accurate uh, you know, signals and to feed the information back to the teams. They started the project on a Wednesday, assembled this multi-million person team by Saturday, and got the job done in nine hours. Okay, so who knew that the ARPANET 40 years ago would result in this massive, you know, inter international, I should say not international, national, you know, balloon hunt. So, so you marry incentives with modern technology and great leadership, uh, you're asking how ACOs are gonna make a difference in the healthcare delivery system. They're working on ways to reward physicians. If you, if you rely on these high quality specialists for referral network, maybe you'd be rewarded in a better way, or you, know, you come up with some micro incentive that Farzad and team are cooking up, which I'm excited to learn and study about, and you combine that with modern technology to identify what works and what doesn't, and you've got superior management you have nothing but optimism to think that we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. We're going to make healthcare better. And I'm just honored to be on a team that's doing that. I love working for Farzad. I love working for everyone who's got a shot on goal because we love everybody and we need everybody to give it a shot. And that's why the history of consensus and collaboration, uh, spirit of openness, is what motivates me in, in this particular chapter of healthcare delivery reform. Though I think that story also speaks to some of the challenges because what I'm struck by is that that may be one of the more productive things that's been done with the internet. I know, I know. We get frustrated, obviously, with uh, distractions for the family and screen time, and we all have kids, and we're trying to minimize you know, overuse, if you will, and there's a lot of downside to the upside. By the way, same could be said, not that we want to get too serious, but even these algorithms, these you know black box algorithms about this patient should get this care intervention, well, that means these other patients don't. And who's to decide what black box decides who wins and loses? That's why I'm more motivated by transparent models where you can actually see the underlying assumptions so that the, the good versus ill on, on the use of these things can be, can be um, properly managed. Too many of the organizations we walk into say, oh, we've got this vendor and they've given us this magic box that tells us exactly what we should be doing. And we hit go and we go execute. Well, I'm not so fearful. I'm kind of fearful that's not the right thing either. You want to be collaborative and transparent, which is, I think, the spirit of Farzad's work. And I think it's the spirit of what we need to be doing. So we know you're you're taking the time for this interview on your way to the White House. Yeah. So we probably ought to, ought to wrap up so you yes. can get there on time. Yes. Again, collaboration. Uh, we're we're going to hear uh, the latest efforts on, on interoperability and an opportunity to provide feedback on the agenda for 2019. So we have work to do, but I'm honored to be a part of it and thankful that you've taken the time to spend that with me and uh, can't wait to hear the rest of the podcasts that have come out. Excellent. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure.